before we have uh, a look at that, let's pray, shall we? Let's pray together. Father, we uh, just thank you so much this morning that you're a God who speaks to us. And we thank you, uh, Father, that you've given us your word so that we can know you. Father, we pray uh, this morning that um, as we look at this together, you would open our eyes and open our hearts uh, to your voice. And we pray that we would know you more uh, as a result of that. Father, do pray for um, the uh, children that have just gone out. Pray, Father, that as they hear your voice from this passage, uh, that they too would come to know you and come to know the amazing thing that your son has done for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just have a look at these people um, on the screen. I wonder what you think of them. Just take a minute, so as they come up, just take a minute um, uh, to, um, you know, uh, kind of think about your opinion of them. Now, I'm sure that you recognise at least one of these. Uh, so you have, whoever you are, uh, at least one of these. The Queen, you've got Mr Trump, um, the lovely Donald Trump, and you've got um, a chap called James uh, Vardy. Now, the question I asked you was, what, what do you think of them? I, I guess you have, you know, something comes to mind as they come up uh, on the screen. Um, and it's very easy, isn't it, for us to have an opinion of them. It's very easy for us to kind of stand back from them and stand in judgment over uh, each of these people. I mean, that's, that's just what you see happening, isn't it? So, you know, as, as you hear the latest kind of atrocity coming out of Donald Trump's um, mouth, uh, what you then see is that you followed on the news, a reporter going around asking people uh, what they think of Trump, and everyone has uh, an opinion. Some are stronger than others. Um, but people stand from afar uh, from him, and um, they say what they think. Uh, Jamie Vardy here uh, is probably held... I mean, you know, I I am not a football guy. I don't know anything about football. For for me, he's he's a bit of a hero. So if you don't know him, he kind of came from nowhere and uh, he kind of got signed to a club called Leicester. And what happened is he couldn't stop scoring goals and his club uh, went on. Yeah, they came from nowhere effectively to then win uh, the league. He's he's a bit of a hero. And yet you can imagine, can't you? Um, I expected him to be playing last night, but he wasn't. But you can imagine, like, if he got kind of a red card in a crunch game or he missed a penalty or something, suddenly he kind of crashes down to being, um, you know... Uh, England's worst enemy. Um, uh, The the point is that it's really easy to to kind of stand back from these people and stand in judgment over them and and have an opinion uh, about them uh, over any of these. Now, I guess that's because uh, it doesn't really make a difference, does it? it? It doesn't make a difference to us as to what you think of them. You know, what you think about the Queen doesn't determine whether you live in the UK. Uh, uh, You know, you may have been born here, you may have uh, moved here, you chose to move here, and you did that regardless of what you thought of the Queen. 
You know, she did not bring you here. She has no claim on you at all. In one sense, she has this kind of position of authority, but effectively, you can think about her whatever you like. Um, <clears throat> if, you, uh, if you love Jamie Vardy, uh, as England's greatest hope, then, um, you know, as, as he kind of loses us the tournament, potentially, uh, you know, it doesn't make you more or less an English uh, fan or a football fan. That's just something you simply choose to do, regardless of what you, what you think of him. So we all relate to these people in one way or another, and yet it doesn't really matter how we relate to them. Uh, they don't determine who we are at all. Now, look, I, I guess it doesn't always apply in every area of our lives. So it matters perhaps what you think of your boss at work to some extent. It matters uh, how you treat your wife and how you, how you treat your family because of who they are. But the question that we face this morning is how, not how we relate to Jesus, but does it matter how we relate to Jesus? Does it matter how we relate to him? Um, you know, how should we relate to him? Uh, and the answer to that question uh, depends on the nature of his kingdom. So, so far in Mark's uh, gospel, we've seen Jesus' authority. We've seen that he's this great king uh, who brings God's kingdom to us. And last week, we saw, uh, Rich came and spoke to us, we saw Jesus calling 12 people to himself, and then he wanted those people to go out and take God's kingdom to others. It's a kingdom intended uh, for all people. And the question at that point, the question that runs through this chunk of Mark's gospel, is, well, who is in that kingdom and who's out of that kingdom? You know, is God's kingdom like the United Kingdom? Is it something that you're born into? Is it something that you can choose to move into? And is the king then someone who just doesn't really matter that much? Can you be part of God's kingdom and think whatever you like about the king? Does it matter how you relate to him? What we see this morning in this passage is another one of these, another sandwich. If you haven't been here, we've said before, Mark loves his sandwiches. The idea is that you have, you'll see them all over the place. The idea is you have two fairly similar bits on the outside, two bits of bread, and then you have some meat in the middle and it shows you what kind of sandwich you have. It's the point of what's going on. And in today's passage, we have uh, outside two sets of people who are relating to Jesus. You see that they, are, they have an opinion of Jesus on the, on the two bits outside. Now, they're relating to him very differently, but they're both relating to him. And in the middle, we see something about Jesus, about who he is. Something about him that tells us which of these groups is in God's kingdom and which of these groups is out of God's kingdom, we see, it tells us whether it really matters as to how we relate to this King Jesus. So, let's have a look at what's going on. There's three things for us to see. The first thing is Jesus' people trying to claim him. Jesus' people trying to claim him. 
Uh, this is the first group of people we see. There are actually kind of two groups of people here, but they're, they're, they're trying to do the same thing. And what kicks the whole thing off is Jesus entering a house in verse 20. And again, you know, just as we've seen throughout Mark's gospel, what happens, he enters a house and a crowd gathers uh, to him. And the news of what Jesus, uh, who Jesus is, what Jesus has been doing is spreading. People want to see him. People want to come to him. Uh, uh, and that's exactly what happens here. And the result is that the disciples, you know, there are so many people who are crowded that the disciples and Jesus can't even eat their food in this house. It's so much of a squeeze. Now, Jesus' own people, his own family, his, his blood relatives hear about this. They hear uh, that the Jesus that they know, the Jesus that they grew up with and that they love, um, has got these odd 12 men with him that he's attracting huge numbers of people, uh, they hear this. And you might expect, mightn't you, that their reaction would be this sense of pride or a sense of awe. You know, wow, look at, look at Jesus, look, a member of our own family doing these amazing things, attracting large crowds. This is incredible. But, but that's not their reaction at all. Have a look at verse 21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he's out of his mind. Uh, they haven't arrived yet. Uh, they're not saying this directly to Jesus at this point. But they think he's crazy. Uh, you know, they want to take charge of him. They want to grab him, seize him, stop him. They're trying to claim him. And Mark moves on. There's, there's a second group that hear about the crowd. And they also come down. They come down from Jerusalem to meet him. Look at their reaction in verse uh, 22. The teachers of the law who, come down for, who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. Now, as it says there, verse 22, these are the teachers of the law. We've met them before. These are Jewish people. They know their Bible backwards. They would have been the go-to people for your, your you know, Bible quiz or any problem that you had. They're not Jesus' blood relatives, but they would be considered as God's Old Testament people. In one sense, they are Jesus' own people. They're God's people. And they can't deny what Jesus is doing. They've seen it. They've heard about it. They can't stop him. But they do make a claim about him. And it feels like a step up on what's been said, doesn't it? They don't think Jesus is mad. They think he's evil. Beelzebub is a reference to a force that's repulsive. It's by the prince of demons that, that he drives out demons, that he casts out demons. So here you have Jesus' family coming down. God's Old Testament people coming down to see Jesus and what they're doing, they're standing in judgment over him. Jesus' own people trying to claim him. I mean, it feels a bit like uh, what we hear of Donald Trump, doesn't it? You know, it, it is wholeheartedly negative. You know, it's the kind of thing you hear American people, even people in Trump's own political party, say, this guy's mad. You know, this guy's awful. What, what, he, what, he, what he says is he's proposing is evil. Well, that's the claim on Jesus from his very own people. Now, never mind uh, Donald Trump for a second. 
Isn't that the claim, the kind of claim that we hear from our society? Yeah, isn't this exactly what Christians experience? I don't know if you've ever, uh, you've ever seen it, but there's a, there's a quiz show called uh, QI, and it's hosted by an atheist called Stephen Fry. And the quiz show is, is, is something that it kind of prides itself on intelligence. So they get a load of people on that, you know, that are clever, that are intelligent, that know lots of stuff. And um, I, I was watching a, uh, an episode uh, uh, the other week, and they're talking about a story from the Bible about God sending manna from heaven. And they kind of went around in circles trying to work out what was going on, but eventually got around to saying, oh, aren't people crazy for believing this? You know, this is mad. Who would believe this? That the, the people on the quiz are, sh- are saying. You know, and then what happens is Stephen Fry takes it one step further and he says, oh, well, actually, it's not just crazy, it's pure evil. He says, the problem with Christians is that they're, they're evil for telling me where I would end up when I die. Now, I guess that's not just the quiz show. You may have experienced that kind of thing yourself. You may have experienced it from your own family. You believe in Jesus, you commit your life to Jesus, and they think you're mad. And then beyond that, isn't our culture beginning to think that Christianity is evil? You know, evil just for believing what we've always believed, that, that marriage is between one man and, and, and one woman. Our society thinks that that's awful. You, know, you, you may experience that kind of hostility at work. I guess the point here is, look, we ought not to be surprised by that. You know, this kind of thinking, if it happened to Jesus, isn't it completely normal that it happens to us? What society thinks is exactly what we see here. And it's not just a claim on Christianity, it's a claim on Jesus himself. He's mad, he's bad. We must take charge of him, we must suppress him. The question is, though, does relating to Jesus in that way actually matter? Because, you see, these people are Jesus' own people. They're his own family, people who knew Jesus, God's people, people who know their Bible back to front, who are born Jews. Surely, if anybody is in God's kingdom, it's these people here. So what? if we see Jesus as a Donald Trump type figure. Surely these are the ones who are in. Does it matter what they think? Does it matter what they're saying? Well, now we see Jesus respond. And what's really clear is that he isn't mad, he isn't bad. Actually, he's far greater than these people realize. Second thing we see this morning, Jesus is the one who binds the strong man. Jesus is the one who binds the strong man. Jesus responds here directly to the teachers of the law. Remember, their claim is that he's evil, that um, he's gone around casting out demons. He's doing that by the power of a demon. And uh, Jesus speaks in parables to firstly show that that's completely foolish. Their argument is ridiculous. Have a look at verse 23. So Jesus called them over uh, to him and began to speak to them in parables. This is verse 23. How can Satan drive out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. You see, he's saying your claim is utterly ridiculous. It's civil war. If Jesus is Satan, if he does stuff by the power of Satan against Satan, then he's going to destroy himself. You know, it's completely foolish. But then what Jesus says is that a claim is not only foolish, but it's completely wrong. Jesus is not Satan. He's actually much, much bigger than Satan. What he's doing is not evil. It's purely good. Look at what he says in verse 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. You see, the strong man that Jesus is describing is Satan. That's really clear from the context. And what he's saying is, Satan has a house. And it's full of possessions that he keeps. They're not so much vases and, and ornaments. The possessions that Satan keeps are people. And the Bible says that that house is more like a, a dungeon. You know, it's so dark that you wouldn't even know that you're in there. And you're, you're chained up so tightly that even if you wanted to get up and leave, you couldn't. You know, Jesus says it, doesn't he? He says, no one... No one can enter that house to come and get you. You, you have zero chance of escape. Except, of course, if there is someone who is stronger than the strong man. If there is someone who comes along who binds the strong man and then, verse 27, plunders what's in his house, takes Satan's possessions for himself. That's the only way. And Jesus' point is, that is who he is. That is what he's come to do. Jesus is the only one. He's the one who binds the strong man and sets captives free who takes a people for himself out of the clutches of Satan he's the only way you can get out of there now, what does that mean you know, what does that kind of rescue mean it means that you're forgiven have a look at verse 28 it says, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. It, he says that because each and every one of us is naturally in that house. We're born into Satan's house because of our sin. We don't even know we're there. We're not born free. You know, you're not just somebody who's roaming around, having a nice time, and you suddenly decide to choose Jesus. No, you're, you're captive you're kept by Satan, you're guilty before God. And the way that Satan is bound is by Jesus taking our sin at the cross, leaving Satan with nothing to accuse you of. And so your freedom is found in forgiveness. 
Whatever you've done, whatever you've said against God and against Jesus can be forgiven. And at the cross, you're free from Satan. You come to Christ. The thing is, not everybody will be forgiven. Have a look at verse 29. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Now, please be assured, that does not mean if you have rejected Jesus at one point in your life, you can never be forgiven. Otherwise, none of us would be here uh, today. Um, It does not mean that if you're rejecting Jesus today, that you cannot never be forgiven. It does not mean that if if you backslide as a Christian, that there's no way back. What we need to remember here with this verse is Jesus is speaking directly to the teachers of the law the people that are claiming he's evil. In verse 30, we read that he, he said this, he said verse 29, because they were saying he, he's evil, because they were saying he has an impure spirit. So you see, to, to commit this unforgivable sin, this eternal sin, seems to be to see Jesus for who he is, uh, to see the Holy Spirit pointing to who he is, and yet willfully and continuously reject him and slander him. You know, to say that his work is the work of Satan constantly, constantly, constantly. You know, the teachers of the law, that's what they do. They keep doing this. They see who he is and they never come to him. Eventually, they crucify him. And of course, the only explanation for that is that they are people who have not been delivered from the clutches of Satan. They are people who are not in the kingdom of of God because they continue to willfully reject the one who will set them free. Which means, of course, for us that knowledge will never, ever set you free. And that's, that's, what our, that's what our culture teaches. Education is the way. You know, perhaps even in a place like this, we can think that if we know our Bibles really well, we know the promises of God, we read our Bible every day, we memorise verses, you can come here every week and listen to a sermon, you can know everything there is to know about Jesus, and yet not know him. Not actually be forgiven of your sin not have a place inside the kingdom of God. The ultimate question is, how do you relate to Jesus? He's not a Donald Trump type figure. You can't think Trump is a really bad guy. Sorry, you can think that Trump's a really bad guy and it will never impact you. But if this morning you think that Jesus is evil or you think he's just in the way of what you want to do, Actually, all that shows is you're outside the kingdom. And I would say to you, please look at him again. If you see any glimpse of who he is, do not go on rejecting him. Because he's the one who binds Satan. He's the only one who can ever set you free. How do we relate to him then? Well... Third and final thing we see this morning. 
Jesus' true family. We see Jesus' true family. So Jesus responds to the teachers of the law. We see that they are outside the kingdom. But what about his family? Do you remember that second group? They were there. What about his family, his blood relatives that we saw at the beginning? Jesus is still inside the house. Remember, that's what he did. He entered the house and his family now arrives. So as they're coming down, they're muttering, he's mad, he's mad, we're going to take charge of him. Now they arrive and they're looking for him. See there, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother's, uh, sorry, and then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. They don't go in themselves. Remember what they want to do. They want to take charge of him. They want to claim him. And notice in verse 31 that they're standing. They're standing almost over him and they're standing outside. And the crowd are sitting on the inside. And Jesus responds to his family's request with the most shocking words. Have a look at verse 33. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. The crowd sitting at his feet, the, the crowd that never grew up with him, the crowd that, 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 that are not blood relatives of this Jesus, that's who he describes as his true family. Yeah, and in doing so, he's saying, actually, my blood relatives, they are on the outside of the kingdom. Those who've known him all his life, they don't actually see who he is. You see, you can feel as if you're close to Jesus as you ever can be. You can have the great privilege of being born in a Christian home. You can come to church and enjoy a church family all your life and yet have Jesus turn around and say to you, who are you? You are not part of my family. It's the crowd that are at his feet that are Jesus' true family. What is it that defines them? What makes them part of God's true family? You know, if the teachers, the law and Jesus' blood relatives are outside, who is it that's on the inside? Verse 35. Whoever does God's will. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does God's will. Now look, Jesus is not saying... The way into the kingdom is obedience. It is not the case that if you go from here and you behave really, really well, you squeeze your way into God's family. The reason the crowd are sitting at Jesus' feet, the reason that anyone does God's will, is because they've been claimed by Jesus. That as Jesus takes you from Satan's house, from Satan's possession, he takes you for himself. He claims you. He claims you. That's why you do God's will. Because you're not your own. 
And you know, ultimately, that should give us a deep, deep assurance. And doing God's will is just the fruit. It's just the, it's just the outworking of that. You know, the people who know that they've been claimed, the people who know that they're not their own, and just know what they've been set free from, those are the people who delight to do God's will. You see, Jesus is not like the Queen, he's not like James Vardy. You can't just think about him what you like. You don't have any claim on him. You can't stand in judgment over him. He claims you. I guess that just leaves us, doesn't it, in a place where we need to keep reminding of ourselves not just that that's true, but that is the most wonderful thing. We need to check our hearts and come back to him and come back to him and come back to him and submit to him. Let me pray. Father, praise you that uh, Jesus is the one who binds the strong man. who binds the one who could never be bound by anyone else. Who takes us, who rescues us, delivers us from that darkness. And praise you, Father, that he's the one who takes us for himself, who, who brings us into your family. Father, we ask that we would be people who know how wonderful it is to have God as our Father, Jesus as our brother, and who love to sit under his authority, who have him as our King. Help us by your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Great. So <clears throat> what we do... Um, uh, here at Christchurch Camborne is we just have a bit of time to discuss so you know you might want to turn to the person next to you and talk about uh, something that struck you or something that you you know I don't know you want to ask more about um, if you just want to talk about the weather that's fine um, but we'll do that for a couple of minutes and then what we'll do is we'll um, we'll have a time for questions uh, and you can feel free to ask anything you like. So let's just have two minutes for some discussion. Okay. Uh, great to hear various <coughs> conversations going on. Um, anything at all that we'd like to throw in or, or ask? Or, uh, Joyce? Sorry, Joyce, go on. Say, uh, just say that again, sorry. Uh, I mean, uh, verse 29, Oh, you mean the, uh, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit? Yeah, thanks. Um, so the question is, uh, just the recording, um, is there a real-life example of verse 29, which, 
reads, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. I, I mean, I do think it is that. Um, it, it is um, a case of continuous. So two, I think three things are really key. Um, one is that you see Jesus. So somebody has presented the gospel to you in a way that you can see who he is. You can see that he's good, you can see that he's the king. Um, secondly, you then willfully reject him, even though you've seen him. And thirdly, you continuously do that. Um, so I guess all of us willfully reject Jesus at some point, but it, you know, in salvation we, we repent, we, we, we stop rejecting him, we, we put him as our king. I, I think if you just constantly... You know, you've seen who he is, you know who, you, you can clearly see that, and yet you willfully, constantly reject him. Um, I, I think that's what's going on in verse 29. Um, does that help? Um, I, I, and I mean, I, I don't know how that would work itself out. Um, you know, people would do that in all sorts of different ways, but, it, but those three principles, I think, are really key in kind of understanding that verse. I think that's exactly what you see in the, um, with the um, teachers of the law. That's exactly what they do. They can, see, they can see who he is, they, 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 but they, they eventually crucify him and they never repent. And that, he's saying that to them. Um, I, I guess just on that verse, I should say, <clears throat> if you're sitting there thinking, yikes, have I, have I, you know, have I, ever, have I committed this eternal sin? You probably haven't. Do you know what I mean? If you're, if you're worried about that, be assured. Does that make sense? Um, uh, yeah be assured that actually the f- very fact that you're worried or you're concerned um, is a mark of, uh, probably, is a mark of your salvation, I would say. Um, the people who are sitting there, uh, y- y- you know, uh, the people who are not worried, who are kind of, we hate Jesus anyway, you know, that, that's, they fall into that category. Um, Yes. So if you're ever wondering, have I done this? Don't worry. It means you probably haven't. Um, yeah. Any, anything else? Any other? Go on, Ron. Good to see you, Ron. Uh, Ron and Esther, by the way, they're visitors here. Uh, they are uh, good friends of ours from St. Louis Evangelical Church. And I have no doubt that Ron has a super tricky, problematic <laughs> question to throw out there. Yeah. If you think about it, he used to be a slave, and if when I was thirty, I didn't want my mum to tell me what to do. But also, if you remember, he went on a journey, and they found him in Jerusalem in the synagogue, fourteen years of age, preaching to the people. Yeah. And also, when she had that son, she knew it was Jesus, and she knew what his occupation was. So I just found it rather strange that they wanted to take charge of him. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think at, at this point, I, I just don't think they get who he is. I think they do later on. So they're different to the teachers of the law. You know, I, I think you see um, uh, his mother's, you know, his mother, his brothers repent, and uh, they, they they eventually realise who Jesus is. But at this point, they just don't. 
And it just goes to show you that you, you, know, you, can, you, can, you can think you're as close to him as you, as you can be and, and not really know him. Um, yeah. Anything else? Going back Hi, Peter. to the um, verse about um, uh, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, it's, um, isn't it? Uh, well, and you explain those three, three things, which, which is fine. But the logical conclusion of that is found when, right at the end, just before he's crucified, mm. they say, We will not have this man to rule over us. Mm. Yeah. And it's a matter of the will. Yeah, that's it. I am determined not to have yeah. this man. That's right. To be my saviour, my king, my yep. lord, Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Peter. You passed, it's, it's the Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, you know, I think you, um, so you've got here, verse 35, whoever does God's will, I, that is an outworking of salvation. So as I said, it's not a way into the kingdom. Now, what does that look like in terms of our priorities, in terms of church family and our blood relatives? Well, if we look at what God's will is, you know, with that example that you've just presented, Megan. So um, it's God's will that we would honour our father and mother. You know, it's God's will that um, we would uh, love our kids regardless of what they do with the gospel. And I think it's not so much that you're suddenly, you've got, uh, you're ditching um, your blood relatives for the sake of the church family it's that actually in everything that you do um, you know, just like you wouldn't, you wouldn't ditch your secular job to go um, necessarily into full time ministry but actually in everything that you do you're seeking to do the will of God you're seeking to honour Christ in that um, so you're seeking to um, you know love your mum and dad in a way that honours Jesus in a way perhaps that you just weren't before um, you became a Christian you know um, now, I guess at the same time, there is inevitably suddenly another part of your life that you didn't have before. You know, this whole church family thing that, uh, you, you know, takes away from something. Um, and so you've got to take that into account, but it's not that you. Um, do, am I answering your question? Yeah, okay. Uh, but I think it is, it is that case, a case of, look, in everything you do, in church, blood relatives, in the world, in your job, you're seeking to do the will of God, uh, to love people as, as Jesus has loved you.